Welcome to Dealcast, the weekly M&A podcast presented to you by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. I'm Juliana Needham, a business journalist who's been covering M&A for a decade. For this episode, I'm joined by Simon Segal, director of Merger Market Australia and a deal reporter consulting editor. We're going to be finding out about a book that Simon's written, which is based on his PhD thesis. It's called Reframing Mergers and Acquisitions Around Stakeholder Relationships, Economic, Political and Social Processes. Hi, Simon. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Julianne, for having me. So to begin with, can you explain what you mean by reframing M&A around stakeholders? The issue is that the the traditional focus of M&A, which most of your viewers and listeners would be aware of, is around the shareholder value concept. So the it's M&A is 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 predominantly in in both academia and both the work that we do in, in deal report and merger market. It's predominantly a shareholder financial metric and focus. My research has indicated that there's a big gap in taking it broader uh, to broader stakeholders beyond shareholders. The implication of M&A goes well beyond shareholders. And, and I've developed a framework, you know, identifying who those shareholders are and a method in which to um, identify and anticipate and, and plan how those, how those um, stakeholders will be impacted. Um, so this is obviously prior to M&A, during the M&A process, and even post-M&A work, um, it's, it, the, the framework assists um, practitioners and policymakers in identifying where they can actually improve the stakeholder focus beyond shareholders. The world today, um, as, as you know as, as well as I do, is is the M and A world or the financial or the corporate world? The buzz is 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 on um, is on ESG and sustainability, um, and and in our world, it's becoming increasingly relevant to M and A. So this takes so this takes it beyond ESG um, and and sustainability um, to, in ways that I'll explain a little bit later, um, and 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 to the how one can actually start. Um, introducing, um, you know, a broader stakeholder focus as opposed to a shareholder financial focus. And can you run through who those stakeholders are and why you thought there was a need to reframe it around those stakeholders? Yes, the the stakeholders would vary would vary from from each M and A. To M&A. So it, it, it's depending on the corporate, depending on the industry they work in, and depending on the, you know, on the implications of the, of the transaction. So every deal would have, all stakeholders would be implicated, but they would have different degrees of implications and different power balances around that, different dynamics that go into that M&A, um, and that would have to be taken into account both ahead of the the actual uh, merger pro- pro- proposal during the the process of of merging and in the post integration phase so my phd thesis goes into um, the case study that that I draw on there was on on two australian gaming giants tabcor and tats that merged 
that merged in, um, in, in 2017. The big issue in Australia there was the regulatory concerns around gambling and the, the, um, uh, the, the so there were a lot of regulate, regulatory stakeholders involved and there was a lot of involvement with, with the Australian horse racing industry where both companies you know, um, were heavily involved and the horse racing industry in Australia is incredibly powerful. So beyond the tradition, so again, the racing industry in that context was hugely significant and the regulatory stakeholders were hugely significant. And were those not anticipated and those powers balanced, those, um, that transaction which eventually did go through, it, it wouldn't have gone through it all. So, so that's just one small example. There were obviously stakeholders involved beyond that in that particular case, the usual employers, there were communities, there were the financial legal advisors, the com communication advisors, there were customers, etc. So the grid that I develop identifies 12 stakeholders, but they, they have very varying relevances per um, per transaction. And the 12, if you're interested, that are identified are, are, are directors, shareholders, employees, regulators, governments, customers, suppliers, lenders, competitors, advisors, commentators, and the broader community, which often have input, especially now, you know, activist community, um, activist groups, defending community interests. So that, that's the broad, the broad template. Um, and within that, as I said, it has to be refined because um, each transaction would, would differ. And can you explain the framework? It seems like a really good point to, to understand a bit more about your framework, please. So the starting premise of the framework is that stakeholders are important for reasons that we touched on earlier. Um, beyond a shareholder focus, broad stakeholders are, are increasingly important and different, differently so to different transactions and at different stages of the transaction. So the framework has six um, has six steps, so to speak. The first one would be to identify who the stakeholder group is, that is, who who affects and who is affected by the MA. So of those stakeholders identified earlier, um, within those groups, there are some who are more or less affected, and, and and the starting premise of the framework would be see who the most significant. Uh, players are the most powerful ones and, and the most affected are. Once that's done, one must always remember that stakeholders, uh, stakeholder group is not homogenous. So within each of those groups, there are um, there are stakeholder subgroups. So, so a shareholder stakeholder group has different interests. A hedge fund investor would have a very different interest in a merger to a long-term investor or, or, or an asset manager or a retail shareholder. So within the, and that's just for the shareholder group. Similarly, you know, they're, they're different customers and they're different suppliers with different interests. So the subgroups, so stakeholders have subgroups as well. That's, it's not, they're not homogenous single entities by talking about a stakeholder. There, there are subgroups and nuances within that. Um, so you've identified, the first step was to identify the stakeholder. The second uh, step was to identify the stakeholder subgroups. And then one obviously has to identify what those stakes actually are. 
what are they defending? What what are their interests around the merger? So in the TATS tab course um, example I alluded to earlier, what was the racing industry stood to gain and what did it stand to lose? What did the regulators stand to gain, stand to lose? Um, the same for the shareholders, etc. So you so you see what the stake in the actual merger was and how they're going to, you know, def, you know what what actually is at stake, so to speak, for them. The, the the fourth phase is which is which which is a um, is to identify who actually counts and and there are various academic and other models that you can identify who counts uh, where the power actually is so is it between the racing industry and the regulator and to see how those how those power dynamics actually play on so 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 the the, the jargon is 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 salience so the, the the stakeholders in the in the particular example who actually counts why they count where they count and where that will lead to because some have entered into the relationship you know, more powerfully than others or, 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 or unbalanced in, 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 the, in the jargon I used. So once you've identified those who count, you've obviously got to manage them. Um, if, 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 you're, if, if you're trying to get the deal or you're trying to interest management in a deal, you've obviously got to identify, the, um, you know, how to actually manage those interests, manage those relationships. Um, and there are various ways to do, you know, to do that. How was the racing industry going to be accommodated? How was the um, uh, the shareholders to be accommodated? And it's 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 not a simple, you know, concept as as just negotiated around because some are actually left un, in in balance. So you've got to identify, you know, who you can actually imbalance. And which leads me to the sixth step: step is where the um, um, is where the balance actually lies at the end of the entire process. So in the TATS example, TATS TABCO example, once again, there the, the were incredibly powerful stakeholders, namely the Victorian racing industry, which in Australia is the Manchester United of Australian racing, and the ACCC, which is the antitrust regulator, very, very Powerful bodies in, in you know in the Australian corporate world, and they were left sidelined because Tats Tabco effectively brought were able to bring on other stakeholders around them and marginalise very powerful stakeholders. So that's the concept of balance. So even though those relationships with the ACCC, in this case ACCC and Racing Victoria, were left unbalanced, the the overall merger was was in balance because it, it actually worked and it went through and you know I'm, I'm talking at the time obviously subsequent things happened and one could use the framework to assess that as well but 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 my argument was that the deal wouldn't have happened otherwise it wouldn't have been consummated the deal the deal actually went through what i would like to find out now is how your framework differs from esg which has obviously been a huge corporate trend across the world in recent years. What's different about yours and why do you think it's needed? There are a few things. ESG is, is economic, social and um, environmental, social and governance concerns um, pertaining to, you know, to corporates and, and policymakers. So the it's, it's, it's issue-based, it's performance-based, you measure it. So, so a lot of ESG is is um, you know how many women 
um, were incorporated over X period of time? What was the effect of this policy on climate? It's, it's a quantifiable performance-based measure largely, and it's issue-based. It, it's specific issue-based. So what, what I've done in, in, in a stakeholder framework is to I, I like to think that that I've I've moved it from an EPS frame um, to from a small EPS to a big EPS. By that I mean from an earnings per share focus, which is value focused, shareholder focus. It's a euphemism for it. Obviously, it's much you know it's much broader than that. But but it's a, it, 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 it's from an earnings per share focus to an economic, political, and social process focus. And that's and and that's where all stakeholders would come in. So EPS, as in the the um, economic, political, and social process, would be would be a stakeholder interest focus, a process focus, a power focus, a focus on relationships, as opposed to the ESG focus, which is on issues on performance. Great, thank you. And how does your framework assist practitioners in the M and A space? There, there are a few ways one one can look at it. Firstly, the um, it's hugely relevant for M and A reporting, which is now becoming much more the, the, the ESG the reporting obligations are, are becoming much more oriented to to ESG um, to, to an ESG focus. So this helps this helps you know towards that. It's it's relevant for M and A. Um, reporting, but more directly, it, it, it's clearly—I mean, from you know, from what I can see and, 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 and observed—and I've taken it around, and, and, and you know, the advisory boards are interested in it. it. It improves the advisory process that helps identify, transact, and implement M and A for their clients. I, I mean, it absolutely—it it must improve it because it's taken a broader focus. It's anticipatory, and it's—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, 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 um, you know part of the trend going away from a a narrow shareholder focus to a stakeholder capitalism. You know, to use the jargon again. So it it, it helps clients anticipate EPS trends around M and A. So it strengthens their check the box approach to to their ESG issues. It helps clients anticipate manage trends and stakeholder relationships before, during, after M and A. Obviously, in the in in you know some advisors help with with diligence valuation. Um, this goes well beyond the technocratic analysis to these diligence valuation issues, to to you know to around broader stakeholder concerns again, and it's. Um, and it, it it also contextualizes if you're a bank or or a legal firm or a or a regulator or a policymaker, it contextualizes your role in what is going on in, in in the merger process that you're considering or involved in. So you can see your context because the advisor, the policymaker, the regulator are stakeholders in the process. So they part of those they part of those relationships that are forming. That are being formed, reformed, and and, and you know in in a, in a hermeneutic circle, so to speak. So it's you know they're being formed, reformed, formed again, reformed, and and going round and round. Um, and they and, and they an intrinsic part of it. But I think I suppose to make it absolutely um, you know just a well hopefully a bit clearer, the the framework makes explicit how the how these stakeholders can be affected. Um, and how clients or how policy or how um, advisory work, you know, 
can create shared value, you know, uh, uh, towards meeting societal expectations, commercial expectations, stakeholder, broad stakeholder expectations. It makes explicit how to help clients or how to help policymakers, you know, bring, bring clarity to what is a complex, interconnected and disordered, you know, processes. And M&A is not a, it's not an orderly, coherent, linear process by any means. I mean, it's fluid and, and, and it's complex and it doesn't go to plan, however much um, you plan it. It's, it's, you know, so, so it's a holistic, it, 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 it provides that sort of holistic lens to, you know, to, to what's going on in, around these relationships and dynamics, you know, that are occurring. Thank you. And, and I can see it kind of looking at a much wider focus to, to benefit a wider section of stakeholders rather than just kind of making money for the shareholders. And, and that seems to make perfect sense to me. And you've written about M&A for a long time. We've worked on stories together when I was in my previous role. Why did you think that there was a need for this framework? And if I can ask you to keep it reasonably brief as we're running out of time. It was obvious to me two things in 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 in, in that the the world the, the 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 orientation of and 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 the corporate speak so to speak what's become pretty woke now and and that might be you know it, it might be overrunning it was was heading towards the so-called stakeholder capitalism away from shareholder capitalism which you know with a broader focus away from a narrow focus away from shareholders a lot of m a with and and I was noticing a lot of M&A were failing because of that lack of, of, of a stakeholder focus. So, so, deals, so deals weren't necessarily falling over, but they weren't accommodating those relationships and those relationships were breaking down. You, would often, you often wouldn't get regulatory approval. And if you had anticipated the broader stakeholder relationships prior to that, the regulatory approvals might have been approached differently and, and they might have shifted or they might have gone the other way. You weren't always getting um, employee buy-in to, 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 to mergers. Some mergers collapse because of, of union resistance, employee resistance. So a similar thing. If that had been anticipated, accommodated um, in, in terms of the broader stakeholder relationships, perhaps that, that, you know, that, that could have changed. So, so there, was a, there was plenty of scope to... To, broad, to improve the M&A process, you know, beyond shareholders that I could see in our everyday reporting where, where the focus, and it still is, it's still a much, it's improved, well, it's expanded broadly, not improved, it's expanded, um, but it's still a very, a very shareholder-centric sort of a financial value-driven process as opposed to, you know, you know, around other sort of benefits. It's a, it's a value benefit, shareholder benefit focus is still very strong. Thank you, Simon. And, and if somebody wants to buy your book and find out more, how can they do that? The book's on, on all um, major um, websites, the Amazons and Booktopia and, and others. Um, it's called Reframing Mergers and Acquisitions Around Stakeholder Relationships economic, political, and social processes, and it's published by, um, by Rutledge. I'm on LinkedIn, um, and I'm also available through, uh, through Deal Report Emerger Market. Great. Thank you very much, Simon. Thank you. 
That was Simon Segal, Director of Merger Market Australia and a Deal Reporter Consulting Editor. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Dealcast, presented by Merger Market and SSNC Intralinks. Please rate, review and follow the podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or look out for your Merger Market News Alert. For more information, have a look at our show notes. Join us next week for another episode.